That's Dr. Stu's Podcast at drstuespodcast.com. You can listen right here on the main page, drstuespodcast.com, or subscribe on iTunes. I know people in the know, they subscribe on iTunes. They never miss an episode of Dr. Stu's Podcast. That's Dr. Stuart Fishbein. I'm his uh, faithful companion, Brian Whitman. As we uh, as we motor through podcast number eighty seven, eighty seven, Brian, congratulations! Thank you very much. By the way, I, I, I like the shirt you're wearing. It's salmon. Yeah, I think you were wearing the same shirt on podcast eighty six. I have about four <laughs> shirts with collars that are comfortable. I've out. I've uh, uh, the comfort level I've outgrown because of weight gain. Weight gain. I have four. The grain that I'm eating has brought on the gain. I have four collared shirts I'm comfortable with. I now rotate them until I go shopping again. And then I have a lot of uncollared T-shirts that are super comfortable. And that's probably I have about 16 of those. And I rotate those. I, I, was, I was teasing, though. Oh, okay. Because, you have, know, Podcast 86 we just did like like five minutes ago. I know. <laughs> I have uh, two pairs of, uh, three pairs of corduroys, and I keep those in nice rotation. And uh, I feel pretty good about that. I got one pair of sweats, two pairs of shorts. I feel pretty good. Now, Dr. Stu, I thought of you because this morning, and we do, these are taped for later broadcasts, but this morning uh, I was putting on my sneaks and uh, getting ready to go to work, wearing my corduroys and my sneakers. By sneaks, do you mean sandals with socks? Actually, I was. This is for uh, Doctor Stu only. Oh, this yeah. is just he was wearing for us. sneaks. Yeah, yeah. I was wearing. Uh, actually, you know, were, was, you, were you wearing the salmon uh, shirt? Actually, I was wearing uh, today. <laughs> you guys are being funny, <laughs> and it's bordering on making fun of me. I was wearing my, which we would never do. I was wearing my green corduroys, and I was wearing my. We love you. I love you back. But you can make. By the way, the number one sign you love me is that you make fun of me, and the number one sign I love you is that I make fun of you. I wear. Uh, I'm wearing the salmon shirt with a black sort of undershirt i'm wearing the green dark green forest green corduroys i'm wearing black socks and i'm wearing black shoes to work because i really want to look the part i want to look like the major market los <laughs> right. angeles uh you know a uh, uh, morning drive uh, personality so while i'm sitting do, there do you own any ties by the way uh you know what i own i've outgrown the t most of the ties i have you wouldn't want to they're see really thin in. or they're really really fat uh i don't wear fred <laughs> flintstone ties in case you're wondering but i did have a station event uh, several months ago for which you'd be proud of me i purposefully went out and bought a new i tie. think i've seen you i think i've been to some of your station events where you Actually wore a you weren't. You, you flaked on me on this particular. This event. year I did. But you did. But you, yeah. The year before, yeah. I was in a tie at that event, and that looked nice, right? right? But and when you're on the uh, USS Iowa, you don't wear a tie, right? No, because no. you know it's, it's hot a, Yeah, you know, and you wear. I wear Correct. a. It's Memorial Day. I wear a red, white, yes. and blue hat, and I got the whole thing going on. But I wore. I bought a tie from the Ryan Seacrest collection. I worked with them for so many years. I got a Ryan Seacrest tie for my birthday last week. How wonderful! Uh, mine, mine is green. And I didn't know he was a tie connoisseur. He's an everything connoisseur. The guy's a money connoisseur and well, maybe uh, he could get into uh, making onesies some, some stew swag well, maybe he can do the stew swag yeah, yeah that would be perfect we talked about that on podcast 86 <laughs> you Just, know you know ryan don't you personally i worked yeah, with him okay. for well, a year, and right. a, a year i'm and expecting a half. an introduction then my deal with ryan seacrest seriously i love the guy people want him you know because he's been so successful uh, it's human nature people want really successful people you know to not do well or they want you to tell them that they're not nice people he's the nicest guy in the world uh i did the comedy on his show the voices i wrote a lot of jokes what would happen is typically stuff like I sat there for four hours. I was paid a, 
a wonderful sum of money. I remember I worked three days a week because that was my Rick D's contract. They got rid of Rick D's and went with Ryan Seacrest. Ryan Seacrest uh, said at first, I don't want to work with Brian Whitman. He's been with Rick D's for 20 years. He's so closely associated with Rick D's. The general manager said to Ryan Seacrest, have one meeting with Whitman. You'll love him. I had the one meeting with Seacrest, and he said to me after five minutes, I won't do the show without you. So that's how our relationship was. And then he added a fourth day and he said, well, well I know how he feels, Brian, because the Dr. Seuss podcast would not be Dr. Seuss podcast well, without you know. and without producer Randy. Seacrest said to me, how much do you want to come five days a week? I said, I can't come five days a week. I do talk shows on the weekend. He said four days a week. And I threw out a number and he goes, OK. So, so that's, you should have thrown out a bigger number. <laughs> I, I know I should have, but no, he's a really nice guy. I wish him nothing but success, and his ties are really cool. They're really cool looking ties. Now, uh, and by the way, he just signed a new deal to keep doing that morning show. So, in the morning, getting ready to go do my morning radio show, uh, I am watching uh, CBS Local, and there's a story of a woman in Victorville, California. Hello, as Larry King would say, who gave birth. In her car. Now, we talk on this program about out-of-hospital birthing. Now, we're usually talking about the home, but the car does qualify, Dr. Stu, as out-of-hospital birthing, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. And what it tells me is that this woman should probably have had a home birth to begin with and never even bothered to try to get to the hospital. Sounds like she's racing. But she, she probably wasn't given that option she by She stops her with the male companion in the carpool. That's where the delivery happens. Ken Chocnick, CBS local, takes over from here. Carpool delivery as Victorville's newest resident just just couldn't wait to be born. Baby Austin Gomez didn't wait until his parents made it to the hospital. He was born in the car on the way. Tonight, KCAL 9 Inland Empire reporter Crystal Cruz is live in La Puente. Crystal with his parents, and this is a story you'll see only on KCAL 9. That's right, Kent. The family is here staying with some other family members. And tonight, the dad says they were driving to the hospital. When he looks over, his wife starts undressing, and he's like, oh, no, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, there's yeah. Austin. Hi, Baby Austin. Austin. Born a few days early in a rush to meet his family. Everything was really fast. Mom, Sylvia Guzman from Victorville, just got out of the hospital, but that's not where her third son was delivered. Here's a picture of Austin minutes after he was born in the car while dad, Sergio, was driving to the hospital Saturday morning. I said, what are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> so I'm having the baby. No, you're not. Yes, she was. Before I knew it, I was like became an opera singer. Oh, oh my God, he's coming! <laughs> the baby couldn't even wait for the car to pull over or mom to get undressed. I was wearing like sweats, and then all of a sudden we're going down the Cajon Pass, and I just feel like a pop, and um, I just started undressing. And Sergio's saying, "What are you doing? <laughs> Why are you taking off your clothes? Why he's coming? He's coming!" Sylvia pulled their baby out. Sergio snapped a few pictures and then posted on Facebook. <laughs> Dads are good baby for something. Coming, they? Don't know if I'll make it to hospital. The birth, an early Father's Day present. What a cute baby. Now, the baby was born on 614 and ironically weighed 6 pounds, 14 ounces. Reporting live in La Puente, I'm Crystal Cruz. KK oh, so this story is a month old already. Now, that is a miraculous story. I want to say about mom. She looks great. Mom, Sylvia, dad, Sergio, Austin Gomez, 6 pounds, 14 ounces, born in Victorville in the carpool lane there. Now, a, a, a lot comes to mind, I got to ask you, Dr. Well, Steve. yeah, I got a lot of thoughts on this one, okay, so go. Uh, so I'll start with my dumb layperson thing, and then I will will and then i'll go to you for the clinical this is proof as if we need it this is proof 
Science is all powerful. That baby is coming when it's coming. And 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 isn't it further proof of people who get freaked out about not having their babies at the hospital? Isn't this further proof that safe catching, safe deliveries in a carpool lane can <laughs> can yes. and do happen more commonly than people suspect? Uh, well, or am I wrong? Safe delivery outside of the hospital happens far more commonly. Now, this was obviously an unplanned out of hospital delivery, which isn't something I necessarily would recommend to people. Um, but this woman, this was her, at least her third. I saw two other kids in the picture, but it sounded like they were more off camera. It might have been her third or fourth baby. Everybody who, you know, who does what I do knows that that those babies can come really quickly and in, because they're third is that what you mean because third or fourth yeah okay. they just labor goes really fast they dilate very quickly they basically push once or twice and the baby comes out and the funny thing when she says i was singing like an opera singer that's a very classic uh, women generally make the same uh, sort of sounds when they're ready to deliver <laughs> but this is a, this is a perfect example of 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 a person that would have in the, like say the British system, this woman would have had a home delivery because they would have had a home midwife that would have been supplied for them through their health insurance. And, and she, she never, been, and she uh, never wait, would wait, have had to she leave. She would not have been to, uh, able to leave the house. She would. What, she, what do you she, mean? She, she, she would have had a home she, delivery. She would have had a home birth, and she wouldn't have had to be in the car. Why not? What if she had to go to Target? I'm being serious. What do you mean she wouldn't have been in the car? Is that what you're no, saying? No, they were on the car because she was in labor on the way to the hospital. Right, right, okay. Well, right, so if she's in labor, why should she have to get into a car? Right. Why shouldn't the caretakers come to her and then, look, and then she, when she finished having the baby, then she went to the hospital. It sounds like they kept her overnight or a day or two or probably kept the baby in the nursery because it was born uh, in a non-sterile environment, which, of course, is good, but, they, but the mainstream medical thing doesn't think it's good. And the baby, Austin, the mom, Sylvia, they both look like 10 million bucks. Oh, yeah. They're, well, of course they're fine. I mean, again, Brian, we've talked about this a million times. Labor is, uh, is something that, again, if you leave it alone, uh, that's when it works best. Uh, this woman didn't need any help delivering her baby. Again, it's not something I suggested to, to try to give your baby in the carpool lane, have your baby in the carpool lane on the right, freeway. Right. But when you're having your third or fourth baby, really think of an option of staying home and, and having, a midwife, having a midwife attend your attend your birth at home. You know, it's it, it's so much easier. You you never have you don't have to move. You you don't have the baby. It doesn't have to go to the nursery or any of that stuff that they think that the hospital thinks is necessary. None of that stuff was necessary. They obviously. When, when somebody delivers a baby outside of the hospital and then they show up in the emergency room, the, the, there's a lot of freaking out that goes on. Mm. And it's completely unnecessary. I mean, there's a lot of congratulations and a lot of happiness and makes a great story. And look, at you got a news camera and a news team there. And when the cops are there, there's high-fiving. Yeah, well, everybody loves that. Everybody <laughs> yeah, right. loves that. Yeah. But ultimately, she, this woman would have been better off if she never left her house. Let me ask you a question, Dr. Stu. Uh, we do see whether it's uh, this story out of Victorville, California, where the where the child is born uh, in the carpool lane, or we see story after story. A lot of times it's in the car. Uh, but um, uh, what uh, and we do see police officers from time to time. I would assume most uh, California Highway Patrol, most police officers in whatever department, precinct, municipality they're working at uh, across America, they are trained in to some extent in childbirth i mean cops on the beat catch babies uh, assist in childbirth uh at a rate i think that is probably higher than most people imagine well i think that i guess what i'm driving at is it ain't that hard no i'm kidding no I'm no, kidding. no it it, no. Re, it doesn't require it doesn't require a lot of, it requires no intervention really it requires 
it requires a lifeguard and somebody to pay attention, but otherwise, hands off is the best thing to do. Uh, I, I've been involved where paramedics have been involved with with deliveries, and you know, although they've done them and stuff like that, there's still a sense of like urgency and emergency, and oh my god, that sort of thing that goes on with even when when the paramedics are called because you know they have their policies and their protocols they have to follow too. They have to do their paperwork. You know, the woman's trying to push the baby out, and they're trying to take her blood pressure. You know, they're starting, they're trying to start an IV, right? Well, you know, she doesn't need those things, but that's sort of the way they're trained. That's what they're taught. Uh, and obviously if they didn't do it and the woman had that bleeding afterwards or something like that, they'd get chewed out. So they, again, they overreact, which is, which is just rampant in, in our profession. And it really leads into the next topic, which uh, we want to talk about. I, I, I want to get to that here on podcast 87, Dr. Stu's podcast. We're going to talk about ultrasounds and whether or not they're overused. Going to get to that in a second, but I have a question that remains from this story that came to us from KCBS channel two here in Los Angeles and KCAL nine of the uh, baby Austin Gomez doing well. What was it? Uh, six pounds, uh, 12 ounces uh, in Victorville on the shoulder of the road born in in the car, mom, Sylvia, dad, Sergio doing well. My question uh, for you, uh, and I know you specialize in uh, birthing at home. That's what you do. If folks ask Dr. Stu at gmail.com, have questions about it. He's a fountain of information. If folks want to uh, uh, pursue that, a natural home childbirth uh, for the first time or the next time, Dr. Stu is the guy and he is an eloquent advocate uh, and, and, and a really trained, highly trained professional when it comes to catching babies at home and, and outside the hospital. I, I do want to ask you, if folks have chosen the hospital model, if folks maybe have chosen the home model, if folks are in the car, Southern California, we live in the car, if folks are somewhere else at a movie theater, if folks are at a shopping mall, and if a couple if a woman finds herself going into labor and, and, and what I mean, imminent labor, we call it precipitous labor. Oh, right? is, is that what you call the term? Mm -hmm. Okay. Thank you for that. I, I love to learn from you. And, and, and that means the baby's coming right away. Uh, what would be uh, just rattle off doctors do what would be uh, a handful of usable memorable so that they may be, might be remembered safety tips, kind of rules of thumb, things you want to keep in mind. If you're in a scenario like the Gomez couple was like Sylvia and Sergio was in that car, in the carpool lane and that baby's coming. What do you want to keep in mind as, as a safety, as, okay. as safety issues? M most important thing is remain calm. Don't get hysterical. I think the second most important thing is leave the mother alone. Because instinctually, she will know exactly what to do. All right? And I, I really mean that. You're kind of looking like no, I know a little you stunned. It. You know, it's, an, it's instinctual. This mother knew exactly what to do. She knew what her body was telling her, the pressure she was feeling, the, the urge to push that she was feeling. She knew that she needed to take her sweatpants down. She knew that she just reached. It's instinctual to, to reach down when the baby starts to come out and pick up your baby and grab your baby under the arms and pull it up and, and put it on your chest. Right. And that's so you leave the mother alone. Now, obviously, you want to have a, like potentially a, a, a warm blanket. You want to get the uh, baby close to skin if possible. Leave the cord alone. Don't worry about the cord. Don't worry about the placenta at, at, initially. The, that usually takes care of itself. Uh, eventually, you know, the cord may stop pulsating in the placenta, but there's no hurry to do anything. You don't. And if the baby isn't isn't like rigorously crying, you can you can rub the baby's back a little bit or flick the feet with your finger so that you you piss off the baby a little bit i'm not being silly you should keep the car uh you should you should not move you should not be driving 
No, you should pull over to the side of the road. Right, you should right. try to exit the freeway if possible. Yes. I'm being, I'm, I'm being, yeah, no, no, I didn't realize. No. I thought you just meant anywhere, no. like in a movie theater, you no, said, or no. anyplace else. I mean, I do mean right. anywhere and everywhere. Uh, and, right. No, you, you, the husband should get off the road because it's yeah, very sure. distracting. And, and if you're in the theater, at what point do you want to call? Uh, this is interesting because it is kind of a conflation of uh, you, you, your natural childbirth and then having sort of a medical well, establishment. This is a, the, at what point do you want to call a 911? Well, I don't know that you necessarily, again, People's automatic knee-jerk response is to call 911, but I'm not exactly sure that that's necessary. I have a very dear friend of mine and his wife, who this happened to in the, in the carpool lane on the 405 freeway. They, they live in Westchester, and they were going to drive down to the, a birth center down in the Long Beach area. And they got on the freeway, and the baby came out on the freeway. And they basically said to the midwife, they were talking to the midwife while the, the baby was coming out. They had her on speakerphone. And they just said, you know what? We're just going to turn, turn around and go home. You guys come up and, and see us. And that's what they did. They went back home again. And then the midwives drove up and, and saw them at the house. So, and, and they knew it wasn't her first baby. And generally, this doesn't happen with a first baby. It's almost always a, a subsequent baby because labor generally doesn't go that fast with the first baby, at least the pushing part. So they knew that, that there was nothing that needed to be done. They were already planning it out of hospital birth, so they already had the right mindset. And there was no reason. If you call 911, then suddenly, you know, you're, you're, you and the baby are going to go to the hospital. And I will tell you that some hospitals have policies that if a baby is born out of the hospital and comes into the hospital, the baby has to go into isolation in the nursery. And there's separation between mother and baby. That's not a smart thing to do. And you would say, uh, to boot, it's unhealthy. Well, it is unhealthy. But the problem is, is that most people don't have a midwife or they don't have a Dr. Stu or somebody else to give them this advice. They only have their obstetrician. So their obstetrician is going to tell them what the obstetrician knows, which is to uh, call 911 and come to the hospital. And then, you know, then a little bit of chaos breaks loose. Obviously, things will turn out all right because it is birth and birth almost always turns out all right. And look how beautifully that story turned right. out. And, well, they, they probably wouldn't be doing it if it didn't turn out right. well. Right. But I, I, I just think that that. The, you asked me the two most important things. One, stay calm and leave the mother alone. That's great stuff from Dr. Stu uh, based on a real-life story out of Victorville, uh, drstuspodcast.com. Uh, with your permission, if you want, we can throw the video of that news story up on the website. Folks might find it interesting. Well, I think, uh, I, look at I think my, folks my, my, folk, yeah, my folks yep. are, are pretty smart. They yep. can just Google uh, Absolutely. Victorville uh, carpool birth. Or okay, now let's take uh, some time here. Uh, in uh, We have uh, two issues sort of uh, for this podcast. Uh, there is, I will read uh, the... You, you, you want oh, I want to present I want to present a, I sure. present a okay. yeah yeah the, the, right. then go ahead and present it it has to do with pregnant women yeah. and ultrasounds Brian, Brian and I talked about this beforehand and we sometimes prep for our for our podcast and sometimes most of the time we don't though most of the time we just shoot from the hip uh, this was uh, I want to talk a little bit about ultrasound and uh, and the overuse of ultrasound and but before we get into that because there was a Wall Street Journal article that Brian's going to talk about in just a second but it's so timely because the night uh, this article came out about two two mornings ago i was sitting and reading the opinion page of the wall street journal i saw this article but the day before one of my midwife colleagues who and she'll know who she is sent me an email with a copy of a report that she got on a 20-week ultrasound on one of her clients that she had sent to a local maternal fetal medicine specialist for just a what we call a structural screening scan there's nothing wrong with this woman uh, she has no medical problems uh, there was no, no, no other indication other than the usual screening scan, which actually is an indication. That's one of the few indications where we do uh, think that it 
ultrasound should be used. Uh, people can decline it, but it's certainly a reasonable option. She sent her off. The ultrasound came back with the measurements all in the normal range. So some were in the 10th percentile, some were in the 50th percentile, but all the measurements were in the normal range. The maternal fetal medicine doctor, because she is trained to do these things, did studies that I would tell, I would say were probably not indicated. Something called middle cerebral artery Doppler studies and umbilical artery Doppler studies. Now those studies are indicated when there's a problem. When you find a problem, you do them. But as, as far as routine screening, they'll often, you often have find things that don't mean anything that lead to more ultrasounds and more interventions. Mm. Anyway, she didn't find anything wrong. Everything was fine. Even the Doppler studies were fine. At the bottom of her report, however, she put down the diagnosis codes and she put down the procedure codes. And one of the procedure codes was for middle cerebral artery Doppler. Mm. Now, insurance companies play a game with us. They only pay for certain codes when you have certain diagnoses. The only diagnosis that middle cerebral artery Doppler, they're the main diagnosis that the insurance company will pay for is when you have a baby that has intrauterine growth restriction, or what we call IUGR. So in one of the diagnosis codes, the maternal fetal medicine specialist put down IUGR. Okay, So the midwife is sending me this thing because the client has seen the report, seen the words IUGR on the report, and is sort of upset, or not really upset, but sort of nervous about why does it say that? Why does it say that that my baby is growth restricted when all the measurements were normal. Sure. My response to her was quite simple. Now, this is what I said to her. Dr. Stu is now consulting his smartphone. Yes, I said, uh, dear so-and-so, this is a normal ultrasound. The IUGR coding is improper. This is unfortunately typical of so much that is wrong with the medical model. As a maternal fetal medicine specialist, she over-tested. There is no reason to have done middle cerebral artery Doppler studies in this baby. To justify billing for them, she uses the IUGR code, so mm. insurance will pay for the unnecessary test. Maternal fetal medicine uh, doctors are pulled in two directions. One is fear of missing something, so they overtest, overcall, and recommend following up even when none is indicated. Two, there is economic incentive for them to do this. Mm. When they screen for everything as they are taught and don't find anything, then they can be underpaid by the insurer, so they overcode. I know this because I have been denied payment myself by insurers when doing indicated studies. It's very complicated, probably by design. Certain procedure codes are only paid if you use the right diagnosis code. It's a game. It sucks, and it's why I prefer to be out of the game. This baby is perfectly fine, and unless clinically indicated by your exams and mom's growth, there is no reason for a, a follow-up scan as recommended in four weeks. It's just a standard cover-your-ass recommendation that profits the doctor, and I truly believe they have convinced themselves they are doing the right thing. Cognitive dissonance at work. Mm. How's that for a long-winded answer? Well, I'll tell you something. That, uh, that uh, anecdotal response is actually more compelling and I think will we'll serve the uh, listener to Dr. Stu's podcast uh, in a more full and complete way than, than the portion of this Wall Street Journal report, which we will share with you. Uh, the headline blares, pregnant women get more ultrasounds without clear medical need. Kevin Helliker is the reporter who uh, is on the byline here. Doctors, I'm reading now, doctors are performing fetal ultrasound on pregnant women at accelerating rates, possibly without sound medical reasons. During her pregnancy, Milena Merzorski Mer <laughs> estimates she underwent, I'm going to call her Morena, Milena 
estimates she underwent a dozen fetal ultrasounds. Quote, I was just happy to get my pictures, she says, of the scan images and keep them in my little album. Her experience isn't uncommon. American women have been getting fetal ultrasound scans at sharply higher rates than before, and parents have turned the images of their unborn into fixtures of social media. No doubt you've seen that uh, by now. I certainly have. Right. In 2014, usage in the U.S., Dr. Stu, of the most common fetal ultrasound procedures averaged 5.2% per delivery, up 5.2% ultrasounds per, per delivery, delivery. Yeah. that's right up 92 percent from 2004 that's in a decade up 92 percent according to an analysis of data and i guarantee you brian that there's from the wall street journal there's nothing positive to be shown from this and i probably will tell you that the article goes on and, and you'll find as you look onto it it goes on to tell you that what happens with these extra ultrasounds is they lead to increased interventions and actually negative outcomes one of the things they state um is that um for a woman who has an ultrasound for a suspected big baby in the last month of her pregnancy, and this is a very common thing that doctors will say to women, and then they will do an ultrasound, of course, they usually will charge for that ultrasound. Um, those women have a 44% greater risk of having a cesarean section mm. than women who don't have an ultrasound for suspected big baby in the last four months. Now, the uh, last month of the pregnancy. Is the link there, Dr. Stu, that the excessive scanning the excessive ultrasounds uh freak everybody out heighten paranoia uh if it can be and lead medical professionals to maybe overreact about something that undoubtedly is going to be seen if you're doing so many ultrasounds and taking so many pictures yes yes the answer is yes the the the, that's a good question. What it does is, I mean, well, yeah, it was. I, that's why when you get a one-word answer from me, it's, it means that you. It was a really good question. Yeah, I, don't, I think I could be a doctor. <laughs> <laughs> I'm you, kidding, of you, course. Well, actually, Brian, you, you you probably could be a, a better doctor than many. I'm a poor test taker. Um, the the whole thing with this is that is that what happens is is that whether they have an enlarged baby or not, right? The the seeds are planted that the baby seems to be big. And the doctor then will say, well, we, let's rescan you in a week or two and see what's happening to the baby. Well, of course, a week or two, just so you know, is not even adequate enough time to space out two, two ultrasounds to compare size because the error, error of a scan at term is about two and a half weeks. So you really have to wait at least three weeks between ultrasounds to do estimated fetal weights. And we all, know, those of us who know anything about ultrasound know that estimated fetal weights are notoriously inaccurate by ultrasound and no better than, than skilled hands on a belly. So what happens is, is that these people, um, are t they start to get anxious about the whole thing, and sure. the doctor gets anxious, and then, they, and then what happens is they talk about induction, and I'm sure that the higher rate of cesarean section is direct, direct, directly related to interventions that are directly related to overuse of ultrasound. So let me ask you, Dr. Stu, in the time we have remaining, because uh, we've covered a lot here on this podcast, number 87, by the way, if you've just discovered Dr. Stu's podcast, go back and enjoy what really is a library of wonderful podcasts. Dr. Stu, it always comes down to informed consent. So imagine now, uh, obviously, we've got so many uh, women listening to us, uh, many of whom are pregnant or are new moms or are thinking of of, uh, of, of of childbirth or would like a family, would like children, or are in the very early stages of pregnancy. Uh, let's arm 
uh, that 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 woman with knowledge. Let's do that now. How w- would you counsel uh, that that woman to have that conversation, which could be awkward anytime you challenge the authority of of a doctor? Uh, that's an uncomfortable thing to do. So so on the issue of more ultrasounds than you need, how do you bring it up uh, with your provider? How do you how do you broach that that topic uh, with your doctor? And quite frankly, if if you think they're scanning more images than is necessary, do you just say it like that? Yeah, well, you can just say no. Um, the, the American College OBGYN, who I don't always agree with, recommends uh, general two, you know, no more than two ultrasounds routinely in a pregnancy. One would be like an early ultrasound, whether that's for dating or for early genetic screening, and the second one is the anatomic ultrasound at around 20 weeks. If those things are normal, <clears throat> then unless there's a clinical finding somewhere down the road, that indicates that there's a problem. There is no need for a subsequent ultrasound. There's no need for an ultrasound four weeks later. You know, if they find a little, the problem with ultrasounds, and they stated very clearly in this story, is if you are looking for something to be wrong, you will find something that's wrong, all right? You can always find a ditzel here or a, a, a little blip there or something like that, that, that you could say, gee, look at there, there's a ditzel here. Um, let's see if that's gone away in three weeks. But the ditzel was meaningless in the first place, right. and you didn't need to find the ditzel in the first place. And, so didn't, and didn't warrant the attention that you were giving it uh, to begin with. <clears throat> That's right. The, the problem is the incentives, as I said earlier in my, in my little uh, email thing, is that, is that the incentives are all backwards. The doctor gets paid more in most clinical settings for doing more, and he gets paid less for doing less. Uh, so in a system where you have fee-for-service or even you have uh, you know, an HMO-type system, um, when there is... Uh, reimbursement for these ultrasounds from a third party, then there's an incentive to do more of these ultrasounds. So what should a woman do? A woman should decide in her pregnancy if she feels fine and she feels good, then she should potentially get one or two ultrasounds or no ultrasounds, all right? I'm a big fan of at least doing one because uh, as a home birthing uh, specialist, I really don't want to be delivering a baby at home that has something major wrong with it that should be delivered in a place where it's it can be addressed right away. And as we look at the clock, typically uh, at, at about what time uh, during the term of pregnancy are you taking, if you're taking one ultrasound, doctors do? 18 to 22 weeks okay. is, a, is an ideal time to do an ultrasound. And that gives you reassurance that your baby is normal. It gives your practitioner reassurance, especially a home birth practitioner, that your baby is fine to be delivered at home. It tells you the placenta is not in a bad location. Uh, it, you know, it doesn't necessarily tell you the position of the baby, but as you get you know, farther along, um, a, a good practitioner can put their hands on their belly and determine where the head is and the butt is. And, and grant, granted, sometimes you can't be sure. And then sticking an ultrasound on for 10 seconds to determine where the head is is fine. But not to do a full ultrasound at that point to measure the size and growth of the baby, the biophysical profile at 35 weeks is not necessary. These are, these are things that are just done because the ultrasound is, one, is touched to the skin Part of it is, I, I really do believe part of it is in, in a financial incentive. Sure. Part of it is, and by the way, if they just want to look at these things and don't want to charge you, that's probably better than charging you. Although, because the, the data is pretty clear that multiple ultrasounds aren't necessarily causing a problem. There will be people that argue with me on that, and but I think the science is, is that ultrasounds should don't really cause a problem but they should only be done when indicated interesting great stuff thank you for uh, 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 
uh, for that. Uh, the Wall Street Journal with a very informative report. Thanks again to CBS Local uh, for that great story that kicked off podcast number 87. If you have a question for Dr. Stu, askdrstu at gmail.com. That is the website, askdrstu at gmail.com. He reads them all. He responds to many, and some make their way onto the podcast as conversation starters. I want to thank you, as always, Dr. Stu, for joining us and uh, for, for your expertise. Yeah, and then one other thing you asked about is what, what should a woman do when her physician wants to insist on doing a, a more ultrasounds than they think are necessary. It becomes that for, awkward challenge. First of all, again, it, it gets back to that basic thing of trust. You know, you, you have to have a good relationship with that person. If you get a feeling that they're doing things that are unnecessary, you need to find a different practitioner. Um, if there is ever, any, ever a question about that, you can always seek a second opinion from someone who will see you one time and has no long-term uh, gain by, by doing multiple studies. Um, but, tr- but trusting your practitioner and a practitioner who, who trusts birth and is, it doesn't worry as much is going, to, is going to say to you, oh, you don't want an ultrasound? That's fine. Mm-hmm. No, it's no problem. Your baby's growing. You're, you're measuring your baby. Your baby's measuring beautifully. Your, your vital signs are beautiful. Your, your weight gain is beautiful. Your, you're beautiful. <laughs> your yeah. husband is beautiful. Yeah, you know, the children it- are beautiful. Um, and make it as enjoy stress-free. yourself. Come back in a month. Don't make worry it as, about it. Make it right. as stress-free. In the words of Doctor Stu in his book, make it a fearless pregnancy uh, to the best you oh, can do a nice that. Plug. Thank yeah, you. we thank you by the way for joining us. Share this podcast with your friends. Do it on Facebook. Do it on Twitter. Uh, throw it up on the wall. Come back here. iTunes. Register so you don't miss an episode of Doctor Stu's yeah, I like, podcast. I like when some of our podcasts we have. We have like a lot of humor and a lot of we go off on tangents. This was a this was a, a podcast where we really talked about an important subject. A lot of information and uh, a lot of great information. And want to thank you for joining us. We'll see you next time on podcast number eighty eight. Wow. Eighty eight. We're getting old, dude. We're, well, I'm, I just got older. <laughs> uh, we're in yeah. the prime of our lives. Uh, thanks for joining us for Doctor Stuart Fishbein. I'm Brian. We got a Whitten. lot of we got a lot of work yet to do, Brian. So yes, we're we not do. we're not old. We're we're no just way. we're just. Uh, Uh, seasoned and thank you share it with your friends and uh, again ask dr stew at gmail.com for dr stew i'm brian whitman thanks for joining us on dr stew's podcast bye-bye